We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, the BearCast, sponsored by the Booth Brewing follow your fun fun is being followed is, fun is very if we're being followed by fun <laughs> this was a fun game to watch um i am your host rob Huang, with my co-host andy johnston who's on the other side this is uh we're doing a via skype one we do this we do a skype one every year huh because i'm in hawaii <laughs> hawaii hawaii chilling but yes um, <laughs> vacation mode. yeah <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's nice, Randy, because you're you're two hours behind me. So even though it's like almost midnight for me, it's only ten o'clock for you. Yep, that's glorious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to this. Uh, I want to go to sleep. I want. I know you want to go to sleep too. So let's power through this for an hour, and then uh, we'll be on our way. Let's let let me ask you this: How'd you watch the game? Uh, with my family. Uh, they didn't have Pac-12 Network here, but I streamed it directly to an Apple TV and then got it up on like a nice little television here. So it was a good setup. I think I missed the first two pick sixes, actually. Uh, the only pick sixes. Yeah. So I well yes, <laughs> but I missed both of those plays. And uh, but other than that, I mean, they obviously happened very early <laughs> in the game. And uh, but yeah, for the rest of the game, I. Saw the entire thing here, watching with my family, who's diehard Cal fan, so it was super fun. And uh, I mean, it's definitely not fun to watch that offense, dude. Like, it's just such an interesting dichotomy between our defense and offense. But I'll wait on that before we go into it full bore. How was your viewing experience? Were you in the press box? I was in the press box. Um, I guess a few things of note was the crowd wasn't – it didn't fill in uh, early. It filled in maybe like, you know, usually, you know, you, you and I have been at enough games now where about probably about like 30 to 40 minutes before kickoff is like when we get like, you know, about 50% to 80% of the attendance that'll be at the, at that specific game. Um, but this one, I think also because it was a four o'clock game with Thanksgiving weekend and all, it kind of they kind of streamed in a little slowly. Um, so I don't think the actual like full, full attendance was there probably not until a little after kickoff. Uh, so 
it felt a little open. Uh, it felt a little weird having the stadium so not full, um, especially knowing that it was senior day. Um, so all the guys um, came out with the flowers, ran out. Their, all their families were lined up at the 50-yard line. Uh, they came out, hugged their families, and then there was like a, maybe about a five-minute gap so that they can take pictures with their families and like their position coaches and stuff like that at the 50. Uh, it was a really cool moment um, to, to see these guys. I mean, guys that we have seen for, for years now, right. Are now, are now on their way out. Um, Patrick McCary, unfortunately he's injured and won't play for the rest of the year. Um, he was on a, in a cast and on crutches. And the funniest moment was, you know, he got announced and he's, you know, struggling to, to get to the 50 and then the guys behind him get called and just keep jogging past him. <laughs> and I can't remember, I can't remember who it was, but someone like looked back at Patrick and like Patrick gave him like this dirty stare. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a really cool moment. Um, but you know, seeing guys like, you know, Ray, um, seeing, um, guys like Ooms, uh, and, and now McCary and, and of course, Vic Wharton too. Um, seeing those guys in Jordan no longer going to be here. Um, it's, it's a weird feeling. Um, do, you know, we always, yeah. Do they count like bunting in Mo ways in this or no? They did. Okay. That's cool. Too. They did. Cause I think, I believe, I believe like this isn't like school wise. It's like by how many years you play college football. Like this is your final year of college football. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, but the, yeah, bunting and ways were both. Um, we're both honored as well. Cool. Um, other than that, yeah, it's it's just a normal, normal Saturday. A little bit gloomy, but you know the air was clean. You know, it was under fifty for the air quality. It was like you know couldn't expect more because it had been raining here all week. And yeah, it was, it was a little bit chilly, but it was a it was a pretty solid game day atmosphere. Cool. That's awesome. I mean, I personally find that. This scheduling is the one game a year. Like, I always miss this game, and it drives me crazy that we even have it. I think, like, seeing that the 34th, there are 34,000 people there is just, it's just, like, tough. I mean, unless you're, like, really home for Thanksgiving, and even then you probably, like, have family in town. Like, let's say I wasn't in Hawaii. Like, I had my sister-in-law and brother-in-law my, or, uh, and my niece. Like, like, everyone was in town. So it's like, probably wouldn't have been able to go anyways. <laughs> so it's, like... I always just want, like, man, for the last game of the season, too, and, like, I would love to see those guys off. I mean, I'm sure this is going to go nowhere and it's going to be lost on everybody, but at some point it would be nice to – I just think, like, it's, this has continuously got to be, the, in my mind, like, the hardest game uh, to fill. And I, like, wasn't – it looked really empty on television, so I was not really all that surprised because, I mean, even if you look at the numbers, right, we've had – well, we, we're coming off a win against USC – Obviously, we're supposed to have the big game got postponed, uh, but we what this U.S. the attendance number is like 34k, and that's like back down to where it was at for uh, who did we play right after? Was it UCLA? We played right after. No, there was like one of those right after that, Oregon. Yeah, right after Oregon. Right, was it the, yeah. the UCLA game that was yeah. really light? Yeah. So it yeah. like dropped down when the team was kind of going up. So. All this to kind of segue into, if you're listening to this podcast, find a way to be out there at the big game with no opposing college football schedule other than the championship games going on. Uh, We'll be in the stands, I hope, 
that was our plan before. Our, we will be in the stands. You and I will be in the stands. Confirmed. We'll be in the stands. Confirmed. Uh, I can't wait. I think I have an eight-year streak going for big games. So uh, unless I end up having an unfortunate snorkeling accident tomorrow, I should be there. <laughs> so. I mean, the only thing that's like that I will say as a devil's advocate to you is ticket prices pre-game for the Colorado game was what, hovered around somewhere between six and fourteen dollars. Oh no. Ticket sales for the big game, cheapest, is hovering around 45 to 50 Yeah. So I think that in itself is telling of how much, how many people are, are wanting to come to this game. Um, so I feel like, I feel like, well, and I, I, from what I understand, they tried to push back senior day to the, to the big game, which would have been awesome. Oh, that would have been great. Um, but then I think a lot of families had already made their travel plans and just weren't were unable to change, which is, I totally understand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'll ever hear it, but thank you to the seniors. I know they still have one more game to play or two more games to play. Uh, but it's, it's always a bitter, bittersweet little thing, right? Cause we've seen these guys play for four years or, and just, just give their heart out and their bodies to our enjoyment. And, you know, and some of these guys will go pro, some of these guys, this is the end of their, you know, athletic career. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a weird bittersweet ending every time I see senior day. Chase Forrest is a senior, right? Got to be. Yes, he is. So yeah. I thought his quote was awesome about like why he didn't want to transfer and why he wanted to stick with this program and see a turnaround through. And then it had like other players commenting on this is all on Twitter, by the way, for those that yeah. don't know. Um, other players were commenting on it and saying about how they were inspired by seeing somebody that was in Chase's position continuing to you know, buy back into the program. And so uh, just kind of wanted to highlight that moment. I thought that was really cool to see. And uh, some of these people that you know, maybe don't make the field, you know, Chase Morris in particular, is like not someone that yeah. you know, your casual fans really going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. But uh, is someone that made a big – impact on the program nonetheless and someone like that for me you know going all the way back to when Sonny Dykes had his first year was I still remember this was Jackson Booz's press conference after the big game I think we lost by like 60 points or something ridiculous and uh, I think Rusty Simmons like asked him hey like have you actually seen changes in the program and he gave this long speech on about his senior day and how the shift in the program is taking place and guys are sitting at the front of the classrooms and, uh, you know, camaraderie building. And you just start to understand, like, that, yes, there's basically a, a limited number of people that you see on the field, but the program is about 126, 128 players deep, and uh, and those other guys can have a big impact even if they don't have an impact on our lives in the same way that some of the other players do. Well said. Couldn't say it any better. All right, moving past the emotions of pre pre game, uh, let's let's talk about this game. Oh my god! <laughs> um, <laughs> what a game! <laughs> what a game! All right, so we got a lot to talk about. So I'm just gonna run through like the the box score, some of the basic stats, and then we can just delve right into it. All right, so here we go. Colorado plays California. Um, Cal going into this game six wins four losses Colorado going into this game 
five games, six losses. So, so bowl game was on the line for Colorado here. Um, Cal jumps out to a 14 and 0 lead led by two pick sixes on back to back possessions. Uh, we were up 14 zero at the 13 and four second mark of the first quarter. Um, and then from there, you know, Cal took charge led up to 21 zero. Uh, and then they caught up for a little bit by a touchdown, but we, you know, blew it open towards the end again, and we win by double digits. Um, some some interesting stats for here. Um, I know Andy has one interesting stat that I texted him <laughs> that he is still shocked about. But Cal 12 first downs, Colorado 19 first downs. Total net rushing yards, Cal 95, uh, Colorado 148. Passing yards, Cal 116, Colorado 170. Uh, Chase Garbers, 14 of 26, no interceptions and two touchdowns. Cephalufo, 16 of 33 with three touchdowns and two interceptions. Wait, so, you mean Montez. Three. Montez, sorry. Wow, <laughs> wow I said Cephalufo. Yeah, I was Holy like, crap. that was awesome. Can we all take a moment a to appreciate that? <laughs> wow, that was a throwback. I wasn't even thinking. You said that like... It was so smooth. That was awesome. Yeah. That was fantastic. Maybe <laughs> my fa- three, favorite moment on the podcast this year. <laughs> three interceptions for Steven Montez, by the way, not two. Uh, so two tough channels, three interceptions, sacked three times. Chase Garber's also sacked three times. Uh, Rushing-wise, uh, Chase, 12, 12 carries for net of 47, so that includes the sacks he took as well. Uh, Patrick Laird, 18 carries for 45 yards. And then on the other side for Colorado, 21 carries for Trayvon McMillan and 58 yards. Montez, 10 carries for 53. And Kyle Evans, 10 carries for uh, 33 and a touchdown. Receiving-wise, the Bears shut down LaVisca Chanel. Only seven receptions on, I believe, nine targets for 65 yards and no touchdowns. Katie Nixon, their other pretty good receiver, two receptions for 48 yards and a touchdown. Uh, for us, Vic Warren led the way with six receptions for 61 yards, and Mo Ways with his first career touchdown, uh, not Cal career, first career touchdown, with three receptions, 43 yards, and a touchdown. And that is pretty much it. Um, just a couple of defensive stats for you. Evan Weaver, 19 total tackles, eight solo, 11 assisted, a sack, two tackles for loss. Jordan Kanasich, 14 total tackles, three solo, 11 assisted, Alex Funches had a, had himself a game today, too. Uh, one sack, two and a half tackles for loss for 12 yards. And then, of course, I believe the other uh, big one was Ashton Davis, two interceptions for a total of 59 yards and a pass breakup. And then Luke Beckett with three total tackles, one sack, and one tackle for loss. That is it uh, from a statistical standpoint. The one stat, and... I will let Andy talk about that stat, but um, we'll talk about that later when we go into some of the qualms we had about this game. But but your initial thoughts on the game as a whole, Andy? Hot. Yeah, man. It's kind of like if you were to take one game out of our entire year, and and I, I swear <laughs> I think I've said this twice now. I feel like I'm repeating myself. But if, if I can use my – like. I'm going to revise my previous statement and say if you could choose one game that kind of was the epitome of Cal football in the year of 2018, it would probably be this game, right? game that the defense shows out, gets a ton of turnovers, and our offense just just enough to kind of put enough of a 
gap between us uh, with a five <laughs> plus five turnover margin, just barely squeaking by, like in a you know twelve point win or whatever. So I think like overall, it was one of those things where it's like we should win this game by you know four touchdowns with with how the game started and just the amount of mistakes Colorado made. I mean, it was just it was a joke to watch. It was just like one. I'll, I just will never understand why they fired Mike McIntyre a week before the season ended and rather letting him, you know, finish out the season. He's got his son on the team who has MM written in his cheeks with eye black. He's just like, oh. And then you see that undisciplined of a performance. Clearly that just completely knocked this team off uh, balance a little bit. And then uh, you know, there's, there was nothing about that game from a Colorado perspective that I thought was rewarding for Kurt Roper, who I genuinely feel bad for and then you have our side on the offense which is just like a defense which is pedestrian at best um and an inability to run the football uh, i was excited that we got to see players like biagio uh get into the game and chris brown jr and you know we got to see some different faces out there at the running back position but boy, did we do nothing like a whole pile of nothing the o-line wasn't all that impressive i didn't think they were building many holes. I thought the RPO was terrible. Like just thought that Garbers probably had his worst game running uh, through the RPO that I've seen so far this year. Just felt like he kept giving the ball to Laird and just Laird would just have three defenders staring him in the face. And there was a clear path for Garbers to tuck it and run himself overall. Just like, in my opinion, it like a D on offense and just like an, a minus on defense. So I, I mean, very grateful for the win. Seven wins is amazing. It means that we can potentially have a bowl game that's a little closer to home. We can actually probably go to a you know Pac-12 designated type of bowl game, which is very very cool. Uh, will tr- fans will travel better for the game. All all very positive things. And I don't want it for one second to be taken the wrong way. Just sort of that was my emotions as I was going through the the roller coaster of Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it boils down to for me as well, right? It's one of those games where it it left you wanting more. And you said it perfectly. Like, this game pretty much is the single, like, overarching theme of our season. Like, if this this game showed, like, what our team was good at, uh, what our team was bad at, in the course of four quarters. Yep. So, in that sense, like, like we're at we're, this is the fun part, right? Is that under Wilcox now because we reached that bowl game, we got to that six win mark, we beat SC, and we killed the streak. That's over. Now we get our seventh win to pad our stats to get to a better bowl game. And as fans, now what do we want? We want more. <laughs> and that's where we're at right now. Like we've 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 broken past that barrier of like, Oh God, please. I just want to get to a bowl game. Yeah. I just want something to see postseason. Now we're getting, now we're starting to get to that point. Where we're starting to get greedy in a good way. In, in that, like we expect more now. We don't expect just a bare bottom six win team. Like now, now that we're at seven, like we kind of want that eighth win against the, and getting the ax back on Saturday. And then, you know, closing out the season, a nine win team which includes a bull win like 
that's incredible. But that's what we that's what we kind of want and kind of expect now. But at the same time, we're also critiquing our team heavily because of that expectation being heightened. And now we're looking at the offense, going if the offense could only do just a little bit more. Yeah. Just just a little bit more. Like I, it's just it's so funny that we're like at that point now. Um, you know, it's this is year two under our a new head coach, and we're already at that point. You know. Um, God, how many years did it take us under Sonny like to finally start having those thoughts? It probably wasn't until Goff's final year. Yeah. You know, but I don't think we had this type of thing midway through a second second season. Um, so, you know, one thing that Nam said that on Twitter that I I totally agree with is that if this team had gotten to let's say nine wins regular season that puts an enormous amount of unrealistic expectation on next season right i'm actually i'm actually okay with where the trajectory of he said he was he's fine with the trajectory of where we're at right now because the amount of improvement that we can make going into next year is not significantly higher because of recruiting and you know other factors that it's at that point where we're, we're probably going to be hovering right around here or maybe just maybe win one more game or so in the regular season, which some people are going to be like, no, we need to go, like, go on an exponential like trajectory where we just skyrocket into the stratosphere of college football. But, I mean, it, does, it just doesn't work that way. Um, also, and yeah, also, so, like, give me, give me eight wins each year and I'll take it. Like, this doesn't have to be Nebraska – you know, eight and four, eight and four, eight and four. Okay, you're fired. Like, <laughs> this is Cal. Yeah. Like, let's. I'm not looking for a, a powerhouse program, but a program that can compete. Like, we had a legitimate shot this year. Like, man, if we had beaten Arizona and you know that Washington State could have had way different game, could have way different implications, and I mean, this team wasn't very far off from being able to compete for a Pac-12 title. Uh, no. And I mean, you look at you look at the the record we're at right now. We if we were in the Pac-12 South, we'd be com- we'd be competing for a chance at the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I you know, think it's like all, it's all perspective. Every time we lose, I just I just told my dad this tonight. It's like every time we lose, I say, "Thank goodness that just means another team is probably not looking at hiring our head coach." <laughs> yeah. The best, I think, the best part about all of this, like, and so far, is that Reddit comment that happened that was up like a couple. Was it after that SC game? Did you happen to see that Reddit comment? I know it floated around Twitter, but it was like, I don't know who it was. It might have been a Cal fan or some other some other guy, and he said something along the lines of, you know, some poor team is going to face, is going to hear that they're playing Cal in a bowl game, and they're going to go into it like all like, oh, yeah, you know, we're just going to score, you know, have a good time, and then be <laughs> locked in a stranglehold where the game ends 8-2 to two at, <laughs> at the end of four quarters, <laughs> and you basically want you to kill themselves. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those it's it's one of those seasons where we're going to look back and we're not going to have bad regrets, I don't think, but we're going to have a couple of games that we really 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 want back. Like, you know how we, we you know how we felt like last year after that SC game mm-hmm. or like or the or the big game last year big game. where we said like, "Oh my god, like just just one interception away," right? Like just one solid that that type of thing. I think we're gonna we're gonna have a lot more of those in a good way for this season. 
This, um, this has been about as much fun as I've had in a Cal football season in a long time. And I think, yep. personally for me, it tops the sunny years. And I say all three of them, or all three of the, you know, four of them, whatever. But, like, the three. The one winning season and four losing seasons? Yeah, I think it tops, it tops for me, all that because of this is a team that we placed expectations on and they delivered against those expectations. To me, the Jared Goff, Bryce Triggs, Trevor Davis, like, dude, that team, we had expectations on that team and they under-delivered against them. We had games yep. that we expected to win that we lost. And and this team is just sort of like, yeah, okay, like the Arizona game, like the UCLA game. Every single time I look at that game now, who was it? Uh, the Patriots went and played the Titans and got whooped by the Titans. And a commentator uh, said, you know what? It's just like one of those things where Vrabel knows exactly every single one of those players on offense and can scheme against them like nobody else can. I literally think that's the exact case for Asinaro and what happened against UCLA. Like, legitimately think it's the exact case. Exact case. And uh, so I'm super forgiving of, over that game. And, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I just have had a total blast. I think that this team is so much fun to watch on defense. And uh, and even in the Tedford years, we've, we've had a lot of defensive stars. And I think, like, Cal's identity as a program might be one that is defense first and, uh, and offense second. We kind of tried to flip the script on it. <laughs> I mean, it seems ridiculous with, like, two of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL coming out of our program. Um, so believe me, that split isn't as binary as I made it just seem, but, um, I've just had a total blast. I wanted to put that out there. Like this just been one of those years that I think I look at as a diehard fan and say, you know, I was there to watch every single one of those games. And then as you go into the next following seasons, we're going to get a lot more people paying attention to Cal that aren't necessarily as cued in or clued in as we are into it right now. Most definitely. All right, let's delve into this game a little bit. What were your biggest positives from this game? Uh, biggest positives? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think, like, probably what I just said. Uh, you know, having a double-digit Vegas projection, you know, beating the spread, beating a team that you should beat at home. Uh, I think getting the turnovers back, we had kind of gone through a dry spell on the turnover side but the defense played exceptionally well. Our linebackers are the best duo in the country, and I don't care what anybody else says to me. <coughs> I look at Michigan's defense and people talking about them as being the number one defense in college football, and they just got run up for 60-plus points. Like, no chance. Um, I think uh, I think our defense is incredible. So it's just super fun to watch. Uh, but I will say my biggest positive that might not be as obvious as the ones I just mentioned would be our special teams unit. Our special teams has been great. We're starting to see people, maybe not great, but, like, really good. We have kickoff returns that go to, like, the 30-35, and Ashton Davis is consistently, like, one tackle away from breaking them loose. Greg Thomas is, like, basically a lock under 30 yards. Hopefully that doesn't come back to haunt me. Uh, Steven Coots is, like, the MVP of our team because our offense can't move the football, and so he bails us out of a lot of really bad situations. I said this in the middle of the game. I said it last game. Our special teams has been... A solid plus, and uh, I'd say that's the biggest positive for me coming out of this game. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just 
defensive plays just gets everyone like excited, right? Like I, no matter what you say, like what people say, like you can have like the amazing touchdown catches, you can do all that. But for me, like pick sixes, like you know crazy sacks and and tackles for loss, like I'm a sucker for defensive plays. I'm just I just am. That's um, just how I'm wired. So, you know, when we saw I saw that first pick six by Elijah, and it was it was glorious. That was Elijah's first interception, by the way, was and really? first first oh, touch first. Pick oh six. yeah, Elijah. Yeah, for sure. I knew that. Yeah, that was Elijah's first. Yeah, yeah. He did tell great. us in the press box. Uh, and then, of course, Ashton Davis is one right after. Um, I don't know if you saw the post-game conferences, but they did say that Vic Wharton uh, uh, was right before the first Elijah picks. Elijah's pick six happened. He was like, "I feel like I feel like we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna turn the ball over and we're gonna score." And then that's what happened. Elijah Hicks picks <laughs> it off, and he runs it in. Right after that, he's like, "Dude, it could. Po- it, I think it could happen again." <laughs> and then it happened again. Oh, wow. So <laughs> that happened on the sideline. Uh, don't quote me on that. If you want to go, just uh, watch any of the the players post games, um, and they'll talk about it. It's pretty. It's pretty dang interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, we basically saw this game defensively for us had everything that we had been raving about this entire team for in one game. We had we had the athletic plays from our DBs, we had the sacks and the and the filling of gaps and, and perfect, you know, rotations uh, and assignments by the linebackers, and then our D line got enough push to make sure that it they made sure the holes were perfect that our linebackers could fill those perfectly, um, and you you, I mean, other than the scores like. I mean, the score, the, the Elijah, I know, was super upset because he slipped um, on that last touchdown. Yeah. And that's the reason that, you know, they gave up that touchdown. And he was he had his head down in the on the field for quite a while before he got back up. And, you know, you can't knock a guy on that. I mean, he was he was playing man coverage. He was on his guy. He was on his hip. The play broke down. So the wide receiver started going the other way. Elijah tries to go after him, but as he's planting, his foot slips, and that wide receiver gets open. Like, like, what are you going to do? You know, uh, can't blame the kid for something that, like, you know, not really in his control. Yeah. Uh, so, other than that, I mean, we played outstanding, outstanding football. Um, and I'm just going to piggyback off of what you said. That's this special teams man is something special. Um, and they've they've shown it. You know, the Wilcox interview was actually really interesting because he said that they had when they looked at the tape. Coach Regal said that that team has some really explosive uh, returners, but they've had issues with fielding. So basically, they pretty much didn't set anyone to block. They just got off quick punts. And just gunned it to the guy, and just to get pressure on him, hmm. wow. and it paid off. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wanted to read this out. Uh, Colorado's punt totals, <clears throat> punt return totals, four uh, basically attempts, and for negative six yards. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. 
That's incredible. With two fumbles? With two with fumbles, two I believe, right? Yep. <laughs> like, literally, literally, our punt team flipped the field for the offense. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Punting was our best offense. Punting was the best way for us to gain yards. I mean, that and Colorado penalties. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's like the honest truth. Yeah, so yeah. as many good things as, as we can say about, I think, the defense. I also had some issues with the defense. I thought that there was some missed tackles. Like, you actually brought it up. Like, Elijah Hicks got beat uh, twice, I think, by Katie Nixon. And yeah. um, those were pretty critical times, and one of which went to first score. I think maybe the Winfrey one was also on Hicks. So um, he had a, you know, I, I think that it's hard to just pinpoint those plays as scoring plays, but... There were so many third down conversions. Montez, guy that was coming off of a you know potential ankle injury that looked fairly significant, looked rather good running the football, um, and yep. bailed them out of a lot of third and long situations. They just, I think it's one of those games where you get the classic Wilcox response, where it's like, "Yep, good win, plenty of things to work on." <laughs> you know, it's just, and that being one of them. And then the more, I'm- go ahead. Yeah, I know for a fact that, you know, on one of the Steven Montez runs, I remember this play exactly because I was watching the alignments and it was Nick Alston who was actually in the game, yeah. the, the true freshman. And he, it looked like his assignment was a QB spy on oh, Montez. 100%. And, and he saw he saw Montez coming up the gap between the right guard and the right tackle. Yep. But he reacted just a tad bit too late yep. where he couldn't, he couldn't set the angle perfectly. And then Montez just just ran right by him yep 100 um, and so that was when i texted you yeah. who's number 52 <laughs> yeah, yeah i was like who so is think, this guy how do i not know this player that's on the field right now and then yeah it was often yeah i mean but that's like a that's a freshman mistake that i can live with but man whenever there was a broken play it did not look like he was coming off an angle injury because the dude was the dude was running really well yeah yeah and we our defense to be fair has struggled with that I mean, we struggled with that all year long. We struggled with those types of quarterbacks the entire year. Um, I feel like we've gotten teams in third and long, specifically the UCLA game, and we get teams in this kind of third down position and we end up giving up a, you know, a decent amount there. To be fair, you know, look at the flip side. It's like what we do best on offense. <laughs> it's like the exact same thing. We get third and long, Garbers tucks the ball and runs for a big game. So it's it's not an easy thing to necessarily be good at. Uh, the Alston play was one that came up in my mind as being one of those that was like, dude, you you are the spy. It was so obvious, and he just let Montez beat him basically to the outside through, I think it was like a delayed reaction. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're... I tried to. I, I wanted to go positive and negatives, but we're pretty much just going to talk defense and offense. So might as well, might as well just do that. Uh, any other closing thoughts on the defense? Hmm. Um. No, I mean like pretty, pretty clean game. I I think like penalties wise, it didn't seem like we had a tremendous amount of defensive penalties that really hurt us. Uh, no, they didn't call any PIs or anything like that. So yeah, this is a really good game. Did you see how high Gerald Alexander can jump? I was impressed. I by did that. see that picture. <laughs> that was a very impressive photo. You can jump I mean, over my is, head. <laughs> the dude is only 34, and he did play in the NFL. Like that athleticism isn't going anywhere. <laughs> this is pretty cool. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, 
I liked it just because we got to see a lot more guys. Like, we actually saw Nick Alston play. <laughs> like, we actually saw guys that spell other positions, um, you know? And that's that was the one qualm you and I both had this entire season is that, like, like yeah, Jordan's leaving, and how come we're not giving any snaps to any of our other guys to, like, get some experience at inside linebacker? Like, and we were worried so much that one of those guys were going to break down towards the end of the season. Thank God they haven't. Uh, knock on wood, because we still have two more games. But, yeah, it was just, it was refreshing to see guys that we haven't seen play um, and actually, you know, get highlighted, whether good or bad, like the often play. Yeah, uh, I agree yeah, with that. That's, that's pretty much it from the defensive side. I mean, there's not much, you can't really pick on much if the defense is playing this well. I mean... They're, they were upset that they gave up as many points as they did. Um, but at the same time, they got the stops and everything that at the right times and when it was necessary. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. ultimately, didn't buckle when they needed to. And completely, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was pretty shocked that Colorado punted that ball. Uh, I think it was like they had a just a mind-blowingly confusing possession in the fourth quarter around the 11-minute mark. And the possession, I believe they ran it like two times, or two or like three times. The clock went from 11 minutes down to eight, and then they punted the ball in like third to six or something like that. And it was just like, or sorry, fourth and six. It was supremely puzzling because I was like, wow, like you're really just going to give us that shot to, you know, at, at that point in time, I don't think we had uh, the same lead. So it really felt like we had an opportunity to put the game out of reach, and we did. So, yeah, the defense held up when it needed to. I think if they look back at this performance, they could easily look at it and sort of say, we could have done an even better job in preventing, you know, the Buffaloes from truly even getting two scores and kind of keeping up that streak of keeping opponents under 20. Yeah. All right, let's move to the offense side of the ball. Ooh, boy. Dude, we got issues, man. We have issues on issues. <laughs> we have like, all right. We have so many issues. Tell tell them to tell them the tell them the stat that you love most about this from this game, Andy. The one the stat I sent you that you absolutely loved. Well, I can't quite remember, but I think it's the Garber's 116 passing yards. Is that the one that you're talking about? No, I'm talking about third down conversion. Oh, the one for 17. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with Garbers. By far his worst game I think I've seen him play at quarterback. Probably since BYU. Yeah, since, well, yeah. I think, I just thought that he, that so much of the, what you said in the first half about him being skittish in the pocket was very true. And then in the second half I saw a lot of RPO breakdowns. Just, not understand, not reading the defense, giving the ball to Laird. Dude, like, poor Patrick Laird, man. Can, like, can we give a shout-out, a hat tip to Patrick Laird, who just, like, <laughs> has to take the ball and then stare down three ginormous defenders who are right in front of him, ready to tackle him. He doesn't fumble, doesn't get hurt. I mean, he's literally, like, he's Superman. It's, it's amazing to me. He has, oh, he's always getting hit behind the backfield. It is, it is just one of those things that is, uh, I have a, a massive appreciation for, um, and just I just thought like 
you know, a ton of batted balls at the line. And it's just so weird that it would happen against Colorado. You know, was it something that Colorado was doing? Like, did they happen to scheme up Garbers better than any other opponent that we've played in the last four weeks where they're able to get the hands into his throwing lanes, like, much easier? It just was like, it was a Ross Bowers, early Ross Bowers level of blocked passes. It was a really bad RPO run, which is, like, classic kind of Ross Bowers behavior. And then you, like, mix in some positives with, like, uh, you know, a couple of touchdown passes and a lot of plays that he made up for on the ground. So it's like we gained the element of the running game, but we you know, are seeing just like s- such a level of ineptitude on offense. And then uh, it just drives me crazy because we just, ha- for every progression we take in the defense, we see zero progressions, if not regression on the offensive side of the football. Um, and Colorado gifted us gifted us man so many of those first downs so many of those scoring situations whether it's the holding call that they decide to take the penalty on that backs Cal up and then we end up getting a touchdown on fourth down from it or it's the you know unnecessary roughness like uh, uh, sorry unnecessary like like hit that the Colorado guy did on Chase Garbers out of bounds that gives us a fresh set of downs when we would have had like a one yard gain on third and 21 third and goal from like the 16 yard line it's just sort of felt like we, we did enough to win the game but we also got handed just like gift after gift after gift and uh i also happened to think that that was a blocked punt <laughs> and that roughing the kicker was i was happy to take it but i also felt like we kind of got a huge lift on a bad call so the offense really left a bad taste in my mouth as far as the game went once again very happy to get the seventh win but there's just so many questions there that I'm like finally kind of coming around to the idea that they're like either you need to replace the talent on that side of the ball or you need to start thinking about replacing like the I actually think the schemes are pretty good. I like like all the plays that we run. It just doesn't seem like they work. Anyways, I've talked too much. What are your thoughts? Well, here's my interesting stats for you from the game. Third down conversions were one of 17. Fourth down conversions were three of three. <laughs> Red zone scores and chances were four of four. We scored two touchdowns and two field goals on four red zone opportunities. So we, we took away points every time we were in the red zone. We converted fourth down three times out of the three times we tried it. But for the love of God, we could not convert on third down. <laughs> so <sighs> it, that it, just reading that stat line over and over again, it doesn't make sense how we won this game. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. no team should be able to go 1 of 17 on third down conversions, yet score four times in the red zone. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's baffling. It's absolutely baffling how much this offense has become... I don't even know what word to describe it. Like, it, there's there's no words to describe what is going on on the offensive side of the ball. Like, it it feels like we're 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 dumbing it. We're dumbing our offense down every single week, and it gets worse and worse and worse. Maybe it was the menu for this week that we were just going to run inside zone forever and ever. <laughs> um, but the inside zone, like, it didn't set up anything, right? Like, then it didn't set up a bubble screen to the outside. Like it didn't on the RPO, like it didn't set up anything. And we just kept handing it off to Laird or, um, and giving him an inside zone read. And then 
he would just get stuffed and only go for one or two yards or, or take a loss. Um, and my God, that was so frustrating to watch. Like, why are we constantly doing the same thing when we know it's not working? Like, I understand if it's something to set up another play um, to show, like, to just keep the defense honest. But there was no part of what we were doing that, in my mind, made it look like we're trying to keep the defense honest. Yeah. Yeah. And so, for me, one of the, one of the positives I'll take away from this game is at least they experimented with other things. Case in point, you see Biagio come in. I love and you that. Give him some, you give him some runs along the edge, and you actually do see his speed. I loved, I loved that. You finally, let's be real, Biagio and some of the other running backs are probably a lot faster than Laird. So you give those guys an opportunity to maybe showcase some stuff that goes off the edge and make make a few guys miss tackles. And that's exactly what Biagio did. And then, But then we never saw him again. Yeah. Um, it's like that first play works really well. And then we sent him up the middle, yeah. and then we never saw him again. <laughs> yeah. Like, you have, to, you have to know, like, your guys are good at certain things, right? especially if they're younger, younger guys. And, you know, they talk about putting guys in the best situations to play and to win and to, to be successful. But it clearly does not look like you're putting certain guys in good positions to be successful, especially on the offensive side. And... I don't have any answers to that, but just what we're watching on the field, they, they're getting blown up every time they go out there to run like a play. Like my other my other issue with this is that one Brandon McIlwain play, the one where he comes in, he lines up. You know, um, it was a really cool setup where they had it. It was it was like a pistol formation with. Laird on his Laird on Garbers is right and McIlwain on his left and then the motion Garbers or the motion McIlwain to the left it looks like a jet sweep but not really um, and then a snap and a quick pass out to McIlwain and he gets lit he gets lit up <laughs> he gets lit up lit <laughs> the thing the thing with it is is I'm fine with that play call I'm absolutely fine with that play call. The only issue is if you put in an exotic package like that, the most exotic player on the field is going to be highlighted, which means in this case would be McIlwain. So if you're going to throw the ball to him, at least set up a couple of fakes to make it seem like the dude is just out there as a diversion rather than on the very first play that he's out there, throw it straight to him when a linebacker is lined up man and just lights him up for a loss. <laughs> and then we never see him again for the rest of the game. Yeah. Like, is that his fault? Absolutely not. Because the play call, he's just running the play as whatever was called. The defense lined up perfectly against whatever that play was we called. And I'm going to have to look back at it. I kind of want to chart that play. Um, but I'll look back at it and we'll talk about it next week. But the defense read it perfectly. They made a play on it. And then we never throw them in there again, even as a diversion. So I'm seriously, I'm seriously confused as to what the offensive identity of this team is, like what the roles of these wide receivers and these running backs are. Like other than Laird, like no other running back has – a role 
<laughs> like there's there's no legitimate backup that spells Laird. Like it's 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 very unconventional. Yeah, it's very. And, yeah, we went from two quarterbacks. To, we use our quarterback as a receiver. <laughs> we have no uh, third. We don't have a third down back. We don't really have like our. Just so happens that Laird is our best receiver. Our running back is our best receiver. Like our number one receiver is best at getting penalties thrown for flopping on the field. <laughs> like, we don't really use the tight ends that much. It was nice to see McAllen Castles get a look in the end zone. I was so juiced on that. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, I don't know, man. We're like, just, we just seem confused, and it's just really hard to watch. And it, if it's hard to – it kind of dampened my enthusiasm for the big game. It just – Dude, like, yep. Stanford has a good, legitimately good offense. They have a legitimately bad defense, but so does Colorado. And so it puts so much more pressure on our defense to perform well in order to basically, like, win that game. And I think, like, after seeing this performance at home against a Colorado team without their head coach... And an offense, like a quarterback's coach that's coming in to be a head coach for the first time. Dude, the fact that we couldn't light up that defense is, is very concerning going into the big game for me. Yeah, my galaxy brain thought of all this is that, like, they knew that they were going to come in and just win this game pretty easily. So they kept their, they kept their play calling sheet at a bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And was saving everything for the big game. <laughs> and, but that's like, that's my like, you know, fifth dimension conspiracy theory that I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Because what we saw out there is we just really haven't seen too much of a progression from Garbers week to week, I think, as a, as a passer. Like, we yeah. badly need Jaden Daniels. Like, we need a freshman to come in. If these are our three options... And Bowers is a total wild card for me because we have no idea what's happening with Bowers right now. But if we have what we if if what we have right now is what we see, then I think for me we need a we need a, a solid new quarterback coming into this class. And you also need you also need speed at wide receiver. Badly. Like we desperately desperately need athleticism at wide receiver. Yep, athleticism for sure at wide receiver, and I think O line has to get better. I haven't seen O line like really dominate the way we kind of started to see them when Laird broke out last year. We started to see them really get pushed downfield and open up lanes, and the lanes existed. And you know whether it's because we lost some guys that were pretty talented, or I don't know, like we just haven't seen the same. You know, kind of progression that I was expecting. I think pass protection is fine. I don't feel like Chase always is on the run, but I, you know, it's not it's not the best it could be. It's like middle of the pack. But then just in run protection, I just feel like we're we're somewhat underwhelming. Um, yeah, I mean the only the the only issue I have with pass protection is at least a, at least a handful of times every game. Um, over the last few games, our pass protection has slid in the wrong direction, which has led to a defender coming off either the left side or the right side un- unblocked. 
Mm. And either it results in a sack or it results in Garbers taking off um, without being able to make go through his reads. Mm. That's the thing that worries me the most is that they're they're getting their their protections wrong, um, and and leaving guys unblocked, and that is a major major concern um, going against Stanford and also whoever we play in the bowl game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any. I mean, we'll, we're going to talk about recruiting for a couple minutes towards the end. But any other any other thoughts on on the offense? Nah, um, I'm glad to see all the coaches are at recruiting right now because I think ultimately, I you know I've kind of been on this like, and it's kind of a weird pedestal to be on because uh, it's not intentional to be ragging on the players, but I just think we've for some reason can do a better job in finding diamonds in the rough on the defensive side of the ball right now than what we've been able to do on the offensive side of the ball. And you mentioned it. It's like the flip side of it is like <laughs> you can take a look at our offense and say, wow, look at all of the production that you got from walk-ons. These are guys that you found in places that nobody else was looking and they're contributing at a Pac-12 level. And then I also say, wow, what could we do if we did have some of those higher level talents that you know we're considering Cal and decide to come to Cal you know how much better could this offense get like how much more interesting is you know we all talk about oh, okay Bo Baldwin like maybe see you later SC's like maybe interested in him as offense coordinator who knows right and we all say all right like see you later Bo Baldwin and then all of a sudden it's like he gets you know a little bit more talent in all of those play designs that he does that I particularly find to be pretty interesting start to work and he starts becoming, you know, one of those offensive coordinators. I can, I can easily see that happening, um, just because I just don't feel like we've necessarily had like the talent level um, on the offensive side of the football that that we, whether it's a, a coaching or whether or not it's like recruiting. I think both of those are an issue that need to be addressed in the off season. Yeah, um, I guess we'll we'll dive into recruiting for a little bit, but um, any closing thoughts on this game and leading into Stanford? <laughs> Sorry, ignored your question. Yes, uh, <laughs> no further questions or thoughts. Glad we got our seventh <laughs> win. How about you? Yeah, I'll I'll take the win. We'll move on. Um, but without a doubt, like if I want to show like highlight reel defense. It's probably going to be, like, from Wilcox's era so far, it's probably this and the Washington State game from last year. Like, those are the two games I'd probably just show and be like, this This is when a defense is really good and firing on all cylinders and is basically unable to make a mistake. <laughs> That's fun. That's really fun. That's super fun. That's super fun. Um, all right, we'll go into recruiting for a little bit, and then we'll talk about bowl games. But uh, recruiting... We uh, we secured the commitment of four-star outside linebacker. I'm going to butcher his name, Kuoni Dang. Um, he is the number one outside linebacker from junior college. He's a JUCO, and he is also, according to Trace at Rivals, the number four overall JUCO pro- prospect. Yes, yeah, huge deal, huge huge deal. And it came at a time when I felt like, you know, we really wanted something to happen on that end and and to get somebody of that caliber to who could play that position oh my gosh i can't wait 
can't wait. Yeah. So what? I think his, his measurables are like six seven. Um, I couldn't. I don't remember his weight, but I do know he runs around a four six forty. Crazy. So you have that at defensive edge now. And don't get me wrong, I love Funches, and you and I, you particularly love Funches. Yeah, he's my boy. But to have to have Coney Dang take his spot at the edge, and then have Cam Good healthy on the other end. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, it's gonna next, be fun. Oh, it's gonna be another offenses next year. Are gonna be scared. You gotta be scared. You gotta be real scared. It's gonna be another year of just like, oh boy, how good are our linebackers? <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, but yeah, let's let's let me ask you about recruiting. I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago after we beat SC, and you know how we wanted to kind of take that momentum and, and go into this. Um, and as you said, defensive recruiting hasn't been an issue. Um, they've, I don't think any of us question any of the defensive recruits that are getting, right? Like, I don't think we're, we're looking at them going, what, that guy, really? Like, really? are you all are you sure? Like, they've proven to us that they can develop talent at the on the defensive side of the ball enough. You know, they did that. We've, how many times have we said this? The, the defense that he's playing with right now are all from Sonny's time here yeah <laughs> like they're all guys that Sonny's staff recruited so that tells you what they can do with that talent then let them go out and you know let Sermon get you know a full year under his belt and, and get out there and fully recruit yeah and start closing out on these guys on the defensive side and Gerald Alexander now can can point to some of these guys and be like hey this is what I did with these guys I want you to be the next one um, and so I don't think we're worried at all on the defensive side and who they recruit. Offensively, oh my goodness, this is a very, very big concern. Um, I think, I think, great for Greywood. Or I'm gonna say my spiel and then I'm gonna let you talk. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go down quickly with the offensive coaches. Greatwood, I think next year is his big like his recruiting and coaching TBD year because by next year he'll have brought in two cycles worth of guys that he's wanted um, along with of course four star future NFL left tackle Will Craig who has played this year and he's had his he's had his ups and downs but I think he'll he'll grow into that role starting next year mm-hmm. um, but he he gets a line that he has now fully built and fully recruited so we'll see how that plays out and that uh, that's I think the big tell year because um, up until now he's been he's been having to mix and match guys with walk-ons and guys that are, you know, didn't really play as underclassmen and uh, seniors, and you just have to rely on them to, to get through um, the gauntlet of the season. Then you move on to running backs, Toller, I think is a question mark. Not because it's bad or good, it's just he's only been here for less than a year. So we haven't really seen any of his running backs and how they've progressed and how they've gotten better because we've only played Patrick Laird. We haven't seen any of the other guys. Yeah. So we won't know like how his effect is on the running back's production and also locally in the Bay Area because he is a Bishop O'Dowd grad. So let's see if that helps kind of get some offensive talent from the Bay Area to commit to us um, with him in, you know, with the in-homes and, and talking to guys and drawing on that, staying in the Bay Area and representing the Bay Area type of exposure. Nick Edwards, wide receiver, definitely a big question mark um, just because the wide receiver production has regressed badly. 
to a point where we basically have the same wide receivers that we had last year because D-Rob only played two games and Melky Stovall basically didn't play any games last year. So our two best wide receivers talent-wise didn't play last year and then left this past offseason. And now he's basically working with those same wide receivers but have dipped in production. So, And he it's not like he's pulled in you know, a bunch of three-star or high three-star or four-star wide receivers that will be coming in next year to play for the squad. So it's a very, very big question mark there. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Tui at quarterback. That's the big one, too, is that we haven't seen any development, um, nor have we seen him pull any decently high-star guys um, in terms of quarterbacks. You know, uh, we have Spencer Brosh, who's a three-star dude who's coming in next year, which for me is more of a Regal pull because he's from the state of Arizona more than a Tui pull. Hmm. And I guess we'll see what happens with the Jaden Daniel stuff. But I mean, it's it doesn't. There's no news coming out that like it's like either Cal or one other team. Like it's still a three-team race, so he hasn't really pulled ahead. So that's a that's a big question mark. Um, and so yeah so those I think those three guys Edwards Tui and are the two like under heavy scrutiny and then you got Greatwood probably getting a little more scrutinized after next season and then Burl Toller who's just still an unknown yeah so recruiting class rank on rivals right now is 31 overall and we have 21 total commitments uh I'm just going to go through the first uh, handful. So Keone Dang, who we just got, 5.8 rating. This is filtered by their overall rank, like rating as per rivals. So four-star, 6'6", 235. Goodness, 4'6", 40. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Absurd. Then we have Braxton Crotow from Yeah, Crotow, Crotow, Crotow. Yeah. 5.7, like three-star, 6'5", 230. Defensive Regal end. pull. McCade Matt Tower, offensive lineman from Houston, six four three ten. Big dude. Miles Big dude. Miles William DB, Blake uh, Anzulados, uh, like middle linebacker. Ben Coleman lineman. Warren Patu linebacker. Curly Young Jr. linebacker. Kyle Smith linebacker. Braden Rome lineman. Miles Jer- uh, Jernigan linebacker. Zaron Manley DB. Elijah Majaro, tight end. So, <laughs> like, the defensive side of the ball is going to get better. The uh, offensive line will also get better. And we're still badly lacking at running back, wide receiver, quarterback. Um, so I feel like, well, running back, we have DeCarlos Brooks from Arizona, which I'm all right with because I feel like we're only going to take one running back in that class, this class anyways. That's fine. Because it just we t- happens to be his rating is really low. Yeah, I mean, we took him. We took two in the last class, and I, I don't think that Carlos is going to play this year, anyways, for us or this upcoming year. It'll be Johnny Adams and Chris Brown and Biagio who do the like the three three prong attack. Yeah, Johnny um, Adams for us. Super excited for. Yeah, so that's why running back I don't think is a big deal in terms of recruiting, at least this year. Yeah, um, that's why that's why I give Burl a pass because he doesn't really need to recruit running backs this year, and I don't know who else he's recruiting, you know, from the Bay Area. Uh, though, you know, we got two tight ends in Bradley Archer and Elijah Maharo and I, you know, 
Bradley got a UW offer and a Stanford offer, and, it, and from what I understand, it was like a big thanks, but no thanks. Oh, nice. <laughs> like, that's how much he, he wants to come here. Um, and then, of course, the only wide receiver guy we have is Makai Polk, who's a local kid, um, but he's a he's an athlete that we're going to turn into a wide receiver. So, yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's looking uh, bleak. It's looking highly questionable, the offensive side of the football. So, got some work to do, coaches. Let me tell you, I'll tell you this. I went back and looked at all of the, the contracts that all the players, all the coaches have. Mm-hmm. And we'll go in more into depth this of this after the season's end. But um, somebody I was talking to, who shall remain nameless, was saying usually assistant coaches, not coordinators, are on two-year deals or one-year deals. Um, I believe Greatwood's deal ends in February. Uh, Edwards was on a one-year deal, so I'm assuming his one-year deal got like extended last off-season. Hmm. And then I don't know anything about Burl's deal, and I believe um, who's the last one? Tui. I believe Tui was on a two-year deal. So you have three of those guys whose deals run out in the new year, at least contractually. So we'll see if they extend them. I mean, if they even if they extend them, like it's it's they're not going to say that they extended them, right? Because it's not like a big name hire. Yeah. But I, it it would be it would be surprising, or it wouldn't be surprising to me if they you know have like a, a job eval like everyone else does at at any other job. Right at the end of the year, you, you go through your work eval and and like they look at how they've done and, and whatnot. Or if, if they don't feel that it's up to par, they decide to go in another direction. So yeah. there, you're at that point now where you can, if most guys were under two year deals, then you have the option of, of revisiting that. Yeah, man, it's pretty wild. Um, I obviously hope, I mean, I hope we can kind of retain a lot of uh, our staff. But it's also one of those things where yeah, I personally think that like uh, continuity means a lot. It does. But uh, but we but we need some explosive recruiting recruiters on the offensive side. Like we we have that on defense with both Wilcox and like Peter Sherman and Gerald Alexander. Right, we have guys that that can make an impression and can sell you on what they're selling. But it doesn't feel like we've seen that from the offensive side of the, the staff. Yeah. And that's the point that worries me. 100%. All right. We share the same concerns. We do. Well, we'll talk about more about recruiting at the end or at, after the season, once signing day comes around. Yep. But talk about bowl games for a few minutes, and then we'll close out today. All right. So bowl game projections have come out today. Of course, they've been coming out every week. But as we get closer... Um, these seem more realistic just because technically the season is over, like regular season. Um, we're the only team that has a regular season game left in, I think, all Power 5 conferences other than the championship games. We're so, in the postseason, kind of. We are technically in the postseason. So let me just go through and read it for you. Leland, our dear friend Leland, did this this morning. CBS Sports has us in the Las Vegas Bowl against the uh, Boise State Broncos. SB Nation has us in the Sun Bowl which is in El Paso, Texas, against the Virginia Cavaliers. Sports Illustrated has us in the Sun Bowl against Syracuse. 
Athlon Sports has us in the Sun Bowl against the Pittsburgh Panthers. ESPN's Mitch Sherman has us in the Cheez-It Bowl, which is in Phoenix, Arizona, against the Fresno State Bulldogs. And Kyle Bonagura on ESPN has us the Red Box Bowl, which is the San Francisco Bowl against the Wisconsin Badgers. Yeah. Okay. So, judging by the ranking of uh, Pac-12 schools, if we beat Stanford, I believe the most likely the most likely destination for us is the Red Box Bowl, which is yeah. the one in San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. We lose. We lose. And I think the most, the, the, I think we're going to the Sun Bowl. Yeah, I kind of want to go to uh, a different bowl than that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone really wants to go to El Paso, Texas. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind the Cheez-It Bowl either, and going to Phoenix and playing Fresno. What what a storyline that would be. We've talked about the narrative would pretty pretty much write itself. Yeah, I'd love um, to do that. I'd love. But I that. think the consolation. I mean, we've talked about this right over the last couple of weeks. Like having a bowl game, it's just it'd be so much nicer to see the team like get to travel somewhere else. Like if you have it, the San Francisco Bowl, like they're just gonna be here. <laughs> they're, not, they're not going anywhere, and then they'll just take like they'll probably just take a bus down to to, to Santa Clara and like you know two days before the game or something and then just they'll just play there yeah like it just sucks that they can't do any like real-time traveling but the thing that as a fan playing against wisconsin on new year's eve like that's a big that's a pretty decent big name program plus it's a program that wilcox has played or coached for yeah and wilcox has already beaten the two teams he's coached for this year so why not make it a third <laughs> I like that logic. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. Um, I mean, outside of the fact that it would be on New Year's Eve, but I think that, uh, I don't know, personally, I think selfishly, San Francisco would be great because then we could go very easily. And also just like having kind of the home base there, it would be really fun. Um, It'd also be like the highest rated bowl game we've been to since what, since we were in college, I want to say. Easily? Which bowl games did we go to in college? I remember we 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 played we played uh, Miami, Miami in the in... Emerald Bowl at AT and T. Yeah, I think that's which the is same. what the which is what this bowl game is now. Yeah, so I think that's the biggest. We haven't gone to a bowl game as high as that since, right? Yeah, the Air Force Air Force Bowl. Yeah, so that's like or the Armed Forces Bowl. Armed Forces. I mean, we played the Armed Forces. I mean, we played in the Armed Forces Bowl our freshman year, and then we just played in the Armed Forces Bowl again in 2015. So. Yeah, you might be right. This might be the, the highest bowl game we've been to in a while. So that would be fun. Uh, flip side, I mean, Vegas would be fun too, and going down to Phoenix would be cool. Um, it's, I mean, that's why the seventh one was cool, important. I just think it allows us to get into the – exactly. It's like not the armed forces. It's not a, yeah, it's not an at-large <coughs> game. Like we'll actually go into a Pac-12 tie-in game. Yeah, exactly. Also, also knowing the fact that I think – I think Utah and ASU are eight and four, right? Um, which, which means that, you know, we would be tied for third best in the Pac, fourth best or third best in the Pac twelve. Um, so the bowl, the selection committee is basically can take their pick, and hope, and that's why they're putting us in that red box bowl is because if we're available when they're up for selection. And they have to pick a Pac-12 team. Why not pick the home team? They'll draw a bigger crowd. 
Um, yeah. As much as people in the Bay Area hate that stadium. Um, Dude, I'm down you know, to go for a Cal game. I mean, <laughs> of course, of course. Why not? Why not? Yeah, so if we were so in conference, Arizona State is 5-4. and four. And but overall, they're seven and five. So yeah, dude. Uh, and then let's see, Stanford. We would have the same. They would be five and four. Same yeah, as so us. We would, we'd have we the tiebreaker. Yeah, we'd literally we would, be third place. Have, yeah, because we have the tie. We don't have the tiebreaker against Oregon. That's the only thing. Sorry, we'd be fourth place. Yeah, we'd be fourth place. Oh, and then we would lose the tiebreaker again of Oregon. Gotcha. Yeah. So we're yeah. fifth place. Well, we would beat Stanford. Right, but we have Washington, Washington State, Utah, Oregon ahead of us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fifth overall yeah. out of the Pac-12. Pretty yeah, good. You're correct. Pretty good. Yeah. All right, let's beat Stanford. <laughs> 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 let's do it. All right. These bowl games, we'll know by Sunday. Bowl games are announced um, that Sunday, December 2nd, I believe, um, because the the things come out on Sunday after all the championship games. We're just playing on Saturday, which is why it's it's weird. It's just the day after. But to end, Andy, out of the games that I listed and this, this most recent prediction, give me two games. Give me one that you would want to go to as a fan. Mm-hmm. And one where the matchup is most intriguing to you. A uh, matchup that's most intriguing is <clears throat> Wisconsin, a tie for Wisconsin and Fresno State. Uh, I think Tedford is basically on the consideration list for a couple of Pac-12 jobs, Colorado and USC. Um, well, think, USC's not USC. Well, he'd be an offensive oh, coordinator yeah. at USC. Sorry. Uh, USC is not happening. I forgot about that. That just happened. <laughs> okay, never mind. USC is no longer an open job. Um, yeah, so I think he'd be in consideration for at least the Colorado job. He'd actually probably be a really good fit for it too. Um, so I think that would be interesting just to kind of see like master versus apprentice, Star Wars style. Um, and then you also, I think personally, the one I'd want to go to most, would, I'm also going to, choose the cheap way out and choose two of them i'd love to go to phoenix and go to the cheese it bowl i think it'd be really fun easy flight uh kind of different areas the team gets to go somewhere else uh and then i selfishly would love to go into the press box at levi's be able to experience the game there i think it would be really a unique experience to have cal fans be able to go to a bowl game like they did the emerald bowl it's basically a home game see them play wisconsin or you know a team from you know, a big conference, Power Five conference. It'd be a blast. I it will not be mad at any of those three options that you said, though. Um, Sun Bowl, Cheez It Bowl, Vegas Bowl, or a fourth option being here at home in the Red Box Bowl. I take all of them. I think all of them are substantially better than the kind of no name bowls that exist, and you play someone from a random conference, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the Red Box Bowl as the one. I want to like see, but the matchup that intrigues me the most is, I think that that Pittsburgh Panthers against against us, because I feel like it's like the perfect matchup. Um, they're like right in the middle of the tier in their conference. We're right there too. Pitt. Um, it's a, I think it's a good, it's a good like just like benchmark 
to just be like, all right, this is what like middle of the tier and other conferences are. Let's see how we pan out against them in our current state. And then we, we go from there. Um, but of course, there's no beating Wisconsin, like playing Wisconsin. Like I would love to see Aaron Rodgers at that game with like a half Wisconsin, half Cal shirt. <laughs> like that would be, that would be awesome. Yeah. It'd be really awesome. I forgot that he turned into a Wisconsin fan. That makes sense. Yeah, but he did say he would never wear red. So I don't know how that would work. But, you know. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us here on the California Golden Blogs podcast, the Bearcast, sponsored by the Booth Brewing. And so we leave you here with just that. And as always, go Bears. (laughs) Go Bears. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.